Hello, welcome to the Manual Handling Collective. I'm your host, Simone Hepburn. I'm a physio and manual handling educator, and I'm passionate about injury prevention. This is a podcast where I speak frankly with the Brains Trust of Manual Handling and other amazing industry leaders in and around the occupational health and wellness community. You get to meet them, you get to be inspired, you get to learn from their stories, and you get to stay up to date with the latest and greatest in manual handling and wellness. So let's crack on. Maria Dreja is our guest today. She's a South Australian registered nurse who's devoted 16 years to infection prevention and control. Maria manages an infection prevention and control unit in Adelaide and also provides a consultancy service to industry, including product development and design. With all this expertise she gives back to her industry, she's been the past president of the Australasian College of Infection Prevention and Control and holds various other state and national appointments on advisory committees and expert reference groups. She teaches at her local university and has published and co-authored around 10 articles and guidelines and presented at both national and international conferences. Is that about right, Maria? It is. It is right. Very good and welcome. <laughs> There's always something we can Thank learn you. from our near peers in healthcare. Uh, and this episode might surprise you just how much overlap there is between manual handling and infection control. So a quick story before we start. Um, a couple of years ago, I did a deep dive into musculoskeletal injuries in my major public hospital I was working at. And I found that I was really surprised that there was triple the amount of injury uh, numbers and costs associated with the cleaning staff. So after going down the rabbit hole of repetitive tasks like mopping and vacuuming, uh, changing curtains and things like that, it's led me to our near peers in infection control who also love what we love. And that's where I met Maria Jureja. So welcome, Maria. The first question you. I've got Thank for you, for you is your uh, career journey. So we'd like to hear a little bit about um, uh, your journey and what's brought you to love this area of nursing and infection prevention and control. I started as a paediatric nurse at the Adelaide Children's Hospital. This would have been oh, well and truly oh, nearly 38 years ago. Um, and I'm a hospital-based trained nurse, but I've had a career path that's led me through university and a couple of other places. I have worked in a variety of areas from uh, theatres, anaesthesia, recovery. I've worked in radiology. I've worked in interventional radiology. I've worked in gastroenterology and my greatest passion was when I got to work on the infectious diseases ward um, and that led me to um, being an infection control link nurse and then uh, decided to do some postgrad study which gave me a door into public health for a little while and um, and then I got into my position in infection control um, at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital and then we amalgamated into a much larger, larger organisation uh, because we became what's called a single service multiple site model. So I look after Central Adelaide Local Health Network and I also look after or provide a consultancy service to all of the statewide services within SA. Mm -hmm. So that means you don't have a ward as such, you go out to other specialty areas and consult, is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Yes, correct. Oh, That's what model. I do. Yeah. And why yeah. why infection prevention control? What do you love so much about it? 
I love the fact that it's just so diverse. Every day is different. Every day is a challenge, but every day there are good challenges and then there are bad challenges. Mm. But it's all okay. And, and I work with a fantastic team who we all have our strengths and our weaknesses and there are things that, um, that I love. So I like dealing with the politics of infection control and, and the management side mm-hmm. and the governance side mm-hmm. and other people like dealing with the clinical side of things, which is all good. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. there you go. Uh, I, we, we've talked before the show and we kind of identified three main things where we thought our work overlaps the most. So we've kind of chosen those as topics for today. Uh, One was about injury risks. And uh, as I said, when I did that deep dive into the statistics, the the cleaning workforce um, came out um, as the highest risk Mm -hmm. in hospitals. So we we got onto mopping and we got onto changing curtains. But the other thing I want to talk about first was the very clear link, which is the reusable patient handling equipment like slide sheets and slings and hoists, pat slides, all those everyday things that we use clinically. Um, And I know infection control nurses love a good audit. So can you tell me uh, what what you know about the patient handling equipment and have you audited patient handling equipment before? We... We've always we always audit equipment across you know across the hospital across the organisation. Even when I go out to residential aged care facilities in the past, and I've done audits of of their facility and and their sling lifters. The the common thing that you find is if it's not even if it's a patient dedicated sling, and so that sling is purely for that patient to use, the nurses forget that. They still have to check its integrity. They still have to check that there's nothing on left on there because mm-hmm. if they've used it uh, in the past when we've audited, we found fecal matter, dried fecal matter even on slings that have been theoretically cleaned and then put back into reuse. Um, and, you know, that's why yeah. we, we advocate for the single patient use sling. And even if it's single patient use, they still need to check it. They still need to wipe it over and clean it. And then if it's if it's that bad, then they need to send it off to be um, washed. Mm. If it's a reusable one, if it's mm. not reusable, then they dispose of it and grab a new one. Mm. I think um, the um, real risk to the patient is that is that cross contamination that can occur from that fecal matter mm. um, that's on there because it could be VRE, it could be Clostridium difficile, it could even be CRE. Mm-hmm. I know we. We do talk in training about wiping down equipment after use. That's, you know, standard. Um, And we do talk about a pre-use inspection of a sling, which would be its integrity. It's not ripped, afraid, broken parts. Um, But I suppose when you pick up a clean sling, you assume that it's clean and you probably shouldn't. Part of your pre-use inspection should be for soiling. Is that what what I'm hearing? Yeah. Yeah, correct. Because even like when I've gone to do a review of the occupational therapy area and we were reviewing, you know, pieces of equipment that, you know, are given to patients when they go home. And so one of the things I I looked at was um, a commode chair, Mm -hmm. commode shower chair that's used for, you know, for the patient in their home. And one of the things that the OTs weren't looking at was even though these, these pieces of equipment were going off and getting cleaned, they weren't checking underneath. And so when you check underneath, 
and you actually look underneath, you can actually see residual fecal matter, rust, and so then that means that piece of equipment hasn't been cleaned or it's actually degrading and they need to replace it. Mm. So, yeah. I knew you'd have and some good... And your sling is exactly the same. I knew you'd have some good audit stories. <laughs> we always have them. <laughs> and that's and, and I have to say, Simone, it's not about, um, you know, um, saying that the staff aren't doing that. You know, staff mm. do check, but staff get busy and, and we are in a very busy environment at the moment with everything that's going on, you know, with COVID and that. And staff are tired. Some people mm. are doing double shifts. And so sometimes that tiredness creeps in or that um, laissez-faire leaks in mm. and they don't check. Mm. And then they don't realise the consequences of not checking what that means to the patient, next patient or the patient that's being used on. Uh-huh. Tell me about casters on hoists because I know generally we would encourage stuff to wipe down the whole – any touch point, so the frame essentially, um, and we would inspect the wheels that they were in good working order and they weren't full of hair or whatever else. But what have you seen with casters and um, spreading of infections? So – what we've seen, what I've seen from from some of the audits we've done, is that um, the cleaning staff, you know, they clean the floors, and particularly where you have um, people that are shedding a lot of hair, um, that you know the hair gets caught up in the caster, so mm -hmm. that um, and then you get dust and debris that gets caught up in it. So then, consequently, that it's not picked up and noticed. And I know floors are dirty. There's just you know you can't make a a floor um you know sterile, sterile. it's a dirty environment dirty yeah, yeah it's not it's, it's dirty because mm. as soon as you clean it you step on it it's dirty um but those casters those wheels you know like when if you if they're not cleaned you know and checked periodically yeah, then you've got the risk of you know that debris and and um things sitting in there and then potentially you know dropping or or um flying into the air you know mm. and it landing on things so, you know, it's one of those inspection things that we get staff to check. And the same with the, with the sling hoists, you know, the machine that you mm -hmm. use for, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's portable machines and then there's ones that are built into the patient's room or the resident's room. Are you talking about the, like, it's, a ceiling hoist? Is that what yeah, you're like yep. a ceiling hoist, mm -hmm. yeah. So a ceiling hoist or your portable sling hoist mm -hmm. uh, or lift stand, mm -hmm. um, it's important that they're checked and that they're cleaned and that they're put on a maintenance schedule because mm -hmm. they also, you know, that's a high touch point. And, and I know mm -hmm. from some audits we've done that dust does collect up the top of it. Mm -hmm. So it's important that they're cleaned. Yeah, and I, I suppose um, fecal matter could also be on casters, right? And that could be rolled around oh, between rooms de definitely def definitely because you've got a mm. patient that you might use a mobile you might be in a residential aged care facility and you've used a, a sling hoist to lift a patient into a shower um you know into a bathtub um mm -hmm. depending on what treatment they're having and then you're going to carry that around to the next patient so if the person's been fecally incontinent um, and if the you know the machine hasn't been wiped over, cleaned over, mm. there's a potential that you're taking that contamination into another room. Mm. It's more mm. so, I think, not so much the wheels, it's more so the pieces of equipment because the staff forget that they're touching everything that's part mm -hmm. of that, mm -hmm. that sling hoist. So if they're not cleaning it, mm. then they're not cleaning it. Mm. Well, you've reminded us 
uh, how important that that step is. Uh, and hopefully the manual handling trainers and educators that are listening will remember to add that into their reminder, into their training instructions. So, you know, we can we can all be singing from the same song sheet. Uh, the other topic we were going to talk about today was uh, hospital curtains or healthcare, any healthcare facility, curtains. And curtains have come a long way, right, from, you know, I started physio 25 years ago and we used to have those cotton heavy uh, thick curtains and no one knew quite how long they'd been hanging there for. Uh, mm -hmm. That was a long time ago. So can you tell us a bit about, you know, modern curtains these days? What do we know about them? what's improved generally, and I'm particularly interested in how that impacts our cleaners and injuries from their repetitive extended overhead time working yeah. on changing them. So um, curtains have sort of come a long way, and I know that, you know, um, most um, reusable cotton curtains that hang, they're usually around about seven and a half metres in length by you know maybe a just over a two meter drop mm -hmm. and and they would take about you know two people to change those curtains and it would take anywhere between um you know 10 uh, 15 minutes to half an hour because you have to unhook them and then you've got to rehook them back onto onto the hooks mm -hmm. onto the um you know curtain rail and that would take two people and we always used to, to do that we always used to debate how would that person get up there? Would they stand on a step ladder? A ladder. Would they a ladder. reach? And would they always get uh -huh. a ladder or would they just grab a chair and the safety risks there? And Well, it depends on how busy they are because mm. generally they grab a ladder and it mm. requires two people. But mm. sometimes, you know, someone might grab a chair, they might stand mm. on the bed. Mm. It just depends. Because it's the quite thing heavy. Is it would have been it's quite very heavy, heavy typically. Mm. Yeah, very, very heavy. And there was a Dutch report that showed that um, the curtains, you know, might weigh around 25 kilos depending wow. on the weight of the curtains. Yeah. And that the injuries the injuries used to be or the injuries were the neck, 33% of injuries mm. were in the neck and 23% were in the right shoulder. Mm. Um, and it was usually the rotator cuff mm -hmm. that got, you know, affected by, um, you know, um, mm -hmm. pulling and putting, pulling up this curtains. Mm. Whereas now today, you know, there are antimicrobial cloth curtains out there, but again, it's about how quickly they become contaminated. Whereas disposable curtains are very lightweight, very mm. easy to hang. Um, and only requires one person to hang them, and and basically it's a take pull off and take on. Mm -hmm. So what's the we talked about a seven meters being the old uh, heavy curtains. What so the lengths new, are the, the new, new ones coming in? The new ones are still the same length. They're mm -hmm. still over seven meters mm -hmm. in length, mm -hmm. but they're so light. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're only a couple of kilos okay. in comparison to you know something twenty five mm -hmm. and two people. So it only mm -hmm. requires one person. Mm -hmm to get up on a step ladder, yep. uh, remove the old one and put the new ones mm -hmm. on. So mm -hmm. it's a very easy, very, very easy. Mm. Save time, numbers of staff. Yes. Yeah. And that's the other thing too. Like when you have um, reusable curtains, if you have someone that's on transmission-based precautions, so they're on contact droplet airborne and what we call now enhanced respiratory precautions because mm -hmm. of COVID, mm -hmm. um, you know, curtains might need, um, curtains need to be changed between patients. 
So, um, you know, if then if they're a cloth curtain, whereas, you know, if they're an antimicrobial disposable curtain, you may not need to change them as frequently. So you may be able to leave them up there for 12 months or even two years before you need to replace them. So that, again, that reduces down the head, neck, shoulder injuries, the having mm. to climb up and down stairs, mm. the manual handling side of things. And the uh, I've seen the disposable ones. They've got a little sticker on the side, and you can write when they were put up and when they're due to come down, so you can track their yeah. their rotation. Okay. Yeah, you can, and and that's part of our auditing process as well, our environmental mm. auditing process. Because I did one, I did an environmental audit the other day in three of our clinical areas, and that's how I pick how we picked up that you know. The curtain on one end has a label that's got the right date. The curtain on the other side doesn't have a date. So, you know, very easy to check. Mm. Yeah. Uh, are there any other comparison points or has there been any other um, uh, cost-benefit analysis documents done that you've, you can... Yeah, there's been with? some... Co yeah, there has been some costing. So if I look at the... Um, just, for example, an emergency department where... You know, you might have um, reusable curtains that are up. Mm -hmm. So say, for example, we, we looked at a comparative of 30, uh, a normal 39-bed emergency department. Mm -hmm. The cost of those curtains um, to replace them with non-disposable is around $100,000 um, uh, a year, uh, every couple of years to dis to um, replace. It's mm -hmm. roughly around about 71 curtains. Mm -hmm. So the cost savings, you know, to the organisation over a five-year period is something like $485,000 by going disposable mm -hmm. because you're not sending them off to be um, uh, washed, dry, dry cleaned, cleaned, washed and dry cleaned. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're saving on water, electricity, mm -hmm. um, you know, transportation, so even if you let me get this right, even if you were dry cleaning them every so often, you would still replace them after every couple of years anyway, because they would deteriorate. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would still replace them, but then you have to add in the cost that, that the, you know we have on average and about. Yep, yeah, and mm -hmm. on average, every, you know, even for say a five hundred bed hospital, you might have. 30 to 40% of your, say 30% of your patients that are on transmission-based precautions. precautions. So as soon as they're discharged, those curtains have to be replaced mm. if they're non-disposable. Mm -hmm. So if you look at that over a, over a, a one-year period, mm. then that's a huge amount of money that you are actually saving as an organisation. But it's also the injuries that occur from people. Mm. That was my biggest thing yeah. was also the injuries to the cleaners having to get up on a ladder to replace those curtains mm. every time mm. so um just so i've got this right because this is um obviously not my field but are you saying when someone's on those um high level of precautions you can't wash the curtains you have to replace them if they were so so the, if they were washable. so every time yep so if they're washable those curtains have to come down and then be washed okay. so if you look yep. at how many of those people how many of those patients you would have to potentially wash curtains that could be a huge amount of money mm. whereas mm. disposable curtains are roughly um you know five curtains are around 205 dollars and then they're up for the whole one year wow. so it's a, so you're actually Even saving with a huge amount of money even with the high level of precautions, they can stay up? 
Yep, even with the high level of precautions, that can okay. stay up. The okay. only time you might replace, or you you might want to replace them, is if you had a COVID nineteen positive patient, mm -hmm. where you know you think, particularly now that we have the Delta strain or whatever, you may want to change those curtains. Um, and then um, if you had a CRE patient, because they're a huge multi-resistant to everything type patient. What's CRE and then carbapenase resistant enterobacteriaceae. Oh, I'm glad they made you say <laughs> that and not me. <laughs> so they, these are patients that are resistant to virtually every class of antibiotics. And so you really want to minimize the risk to other patients. So for those patients, we recommend that the curtains get changed. Mm -hmm. And then the other patients, were, the other time that you might want to change a curtain is when someone has, uh, when there's an outbreak. And you don't know what the outbreak's about. You don't okay. know what the organism is. Okay. So would that have been like early days of COVID-19? Yeah, yeah, early days of COVID-19. Um, even, yeah, a novel, um, mm -hmm. if we had today another novel virus that we don't know about, mm -hmm. we would be changing mm -hmm. the curtain because we just don't know. Mm -hmm. Wow. So with COVID now, are we changing the curtains? I'm not up to date with the curtain guidelines. Well... We've sort of gone down the pathway of um, because of the risks and even though we know that the efficacy of the curtains are there mm -hmm. um, and I know that um, there's some further testing that's being done with disposable curtains to see how effective they are against um, COVID-19, mm -hmm. you know, again, it's based on the organisation and their risk mm -hmm. and what they deem as being their risk. Mm -hmm. If they feel that the curtains are effective enough and they do not need to replace them, they won't. Mm -hmm. But if they feel that they need to, then they do. And that's for a disposable, a reusable curtain, definitely. You would definitely be replacing that. So a case-by-case case or facility-by-facility facility decision at the moment until there's a... Yes. Yeah. Any further yep. guidelines? Uh, yeah, more testing. Okay. Is there anything else about curtains that I've missed that um, is important in that comparison? I, ha I had a look um, for... No, yeah. I I had a look for injury statistics and they're hard to they're hard to quantify because it's about injury prevention. So it's hard to yeah to measure what you're preventing. Yeah. Mm. But I guess when I mean when I was doing my literature review, one of the things I did find was that Dutch report and there was one, you know, around the rotator cuff mm. injuries to mm. the you know, to the shoulder. Mm. Um, yeah, the, and the evidence I know is, that from the evidence is there that the risk I'm, the risk exists. It's yeah, I don't know if any it's, anyone it's definitely the, the difference now with the new uh, way. I don't I don't think anyone well even previously with cloth curtains there wasn't a lot of literature written around it. I think mm. because a lot of them are work injuries mm. so no one actually really looked at it. Yeah. But one of the things that I looked at was you know listening to the cleaners and listening mm. to the fact that they were getting injuries from neck and shoulder mm. so and back. So yeah. if we could you know, minimise that by going with something that reduces their manual handling and their manual handling time and increases the amount of time that they can spend doing other things. And, yeah. you know, that's a positive yeah. thing. Because you're right, Maria, it's the yeah. it's the cumulative the cumulative damage and the cumulative load on, on shoulders and backs rather than just picking out, oh, yeah. the curtains are the problem or mopping's a problem. It, it's the cumulative effects on yeah. cleaners that, that build their injuries. Mm. Yeah. Yep, correct, it is. So that's a nice segue into mopping, actually, because mopping is the other uh, high-risk activity that's clearly been identified in the research as as um, 
as a risk factor and it's also undergone some significant changes. I remember when I first started in hospitals, uh, I remember seeing the string head mops with the big bucket full of hot water and whatever um, yeah. and, a sep- and uh, detergent went in there. Disinfect- Disinfectant. Detergent disinfectant. I've got to get my infection control yeah. words right when I'm speaking to you. Uh, and it's changed a lot. So uh, do you want to talk us through sort of where things are at now with regards to mopping? Um, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's been a big shift towards microfiber. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and in particular, like, uh, depending on the organisation, some organisations still stick with the string mop for certain areas mm-hmm. that they clean and then other areas they, they use disposable. But... Um, the efficacy with the disposable mop, there are there are some positives um, with it because you can use steam and water um, to clean um, using the microfiber or you can go with a chemical like a bleach-based chemical um, to clean. Yes, that does destroy the microfiber, but then you could go with a disposable microfiber, mm-hmm. which means that, you know, it's still got its efficacy, it still can mm-hmm. um, clean the surface. The other thing too is from an environmental point of view, a lot of the um, uh, microfiber products now are coming out um, and being a lot more environmentally friendly because we're using um, less chemical, less mm. water, mm. Um, and uh, you know some of it can be um, you know can be biodegradable. Um, so it depends on the product that you use. Mm. So the. Just to explain for people who don't may not be familiar, but the microfiber mop heads that are disposable, uh, they attach to the mop head, and then afterwards you peel it off and throw it out, put the new one on, and you, yeah. you so you may use water yeah. or steam, or you can dry mop yeah. with a microfiber. Um, you can use a dry mop. You can steam. You can steam and dry mop, or mm. you can use a, a dry mop for picking up the dust and mm-hmm. lint and that mm-hmm. that's in the environment. Mm-hmm. The positive things with using a um, microfiber um, cloth, whether it's reusable or disposable, is you can put them into what's called a charging bucket. So that means you could put, you know, ten or twenty of them, depending on what the manufacturer says that you can use. Um, and you put it into your bucket, you fill it up with your um, uh, disinfectant or your detergent, your water, you then agitate it, mm-hmm. um, and then you pull them out one by one as you need them. Mm. And then they either get put into a bag that gets sent off to be, um, again, washed, mm-hmm. if they're reusable, or they go straight into um, general waste um, and get disposed of. So, so you could, there's two way, two options that you have. You can either um, reuse the mop. Uh, sorry, once the mop's been um, used, you can um, put it straight into a bag that then gets sent off to the laundry to be mm-hmm. reprocessed, mm-hmm. like washed and reprocessed and dried, ready for use again. Or you can go disposable, where the disposable um, uh, cloth or mop is used. It then goes directly mm-hmm. into general waste, um, and then there's no so there's yeah. no more washing or anything. So it's that medical you need to waste do. at that point. So it can't be recycled. Is that correct? No, no, no. It okay. goes into general waste. So it doesn't go into medical okay. waste. It goes into general waste. And then depending on where, what the product is, it, in general waste, it could be segregated again by the um, mm-hmm. waste provider mm-hmm. when they receive it at the other end, because some mm-hmm. waste is segregated. 
and then they divide it into what is a recyclable versus what mm-hmm. is um, non-recyclable. So would it also depend on what you're mopping up? Obviously, if you're mopping up blood in theatre or bodily fluids, that would be medical waste. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, that would go into me- – yeah, because I've been in operating theatres and I've seen how much waste can mm. be potentially on the floor, mm-hmm. so that would just go go all into medical so one waste. So one of the benefits and comparisons yeah. I think of for injuries is – not having to lift the mop and squeeze it up out of the bucket so there's no more ringing out it's just into the charging bucket and attached to the mop head and then light a light lift no so so what you you would do is you would take your pad out of your charging um bucket and then drop it to the, the floor if it's a it. mop okay got you and then and then attach and then attach your yeah attach directly attach because it's got like velcro okay. on it so it attaches mm-hmm. directly to the to the bottom mm. of the mop mop head. So no more. So, yeah. So no there are some positives with it. Much less water, potentially less chemicals, depending on what you're doing. Um, yeah. And the, the the other the other thing that's pl- um, a plus with the microfiber is if you've got someone who's got idiopathic chemical sensitivity. So this is someone who has multiple chemical sensitivities. So you can't use any chemicals mm-hmm. in cleaning their room apart from potentially steam and water and that's even um deionized water or sterile water because chlorine Mm. could trigger Mm. them off the chlorinated water tap water could trigger them off so by using a disposable microfiber cloth and that steam and water you're then um still being able to effectively clean that patient's room um while they're in that room and then when they leave deep, then you can use your cleaning. disinfectant mm. because they've gone mm. and did a deep clean yes so yeah. um the other comparison point i'm interested in if you're thinking about whether your facility is going to use the disposable mop heads or wash and reuse the microfiber mop heads mop heads um what are some of the differences there as far as washing a reusable mop head and putting it back on so so reusable mop heads um again they attach very similar to the um disposable but then you have to um you would then be because of their weight and their consistency you're having to then pull them off put them into a bag and then you're going to have to carry them and take them to where they get washed and reprocessed a bit more handling the other thing too is that the the it's a bit more handling and also the just the reusable um mop heads and cloths um only have a certain amount of times that you can continue to wash them and if you use um chemicals on them like bleach um which can actually um uh, destroy some of the microfiber um and its ability mm. to grip um you know uh pathogens and dirt and mm-hmm. and, and dust that um, you more you have to f- more frequently replace um, those reusable. So even though they might have three hundred uses or three hundred mm. washes, you might find that after a hundred or one hundred and fifty washes, they're no mm. longer effective. And the only way that you can tell they're no longer effective is when the cleaner's cleaning, and they can see that it's mm. not picking up the dust, it's so not it's picking up the dirt, and they're having to use more time and. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah, and they're having to use more mm. effort, more push, you know, mm-hmm. more shoulder, back. more back, yep. more neck to yeah. So then there's the risk of an in, a potential and that's risk quite of an injury. Subjective, I suppose, to the cleaner as well, for them to decide when it's time to throw out the mop head. Yeah, 
Yep, yeah, it is. And it's one of the things I think that they don't mm. pick up on. They go on the fact that it goes to the laundry and they, they you know, it's it's got a marker on it. It tells them, you know, once the marker reaches a certain point, then they know that so, that cloth is no longer, mm. uh, you know, reusable. But, but they still need mm. to observe as they're cleaning whether mm. it's really doing mm. what it needs to do. And I know you mentioned mm. before, Maria, that floors are not sterile. So I don't want to go too much into this, but... If you're using a, I'm imagining a mop head getting quite dirty or full of pathogens. If you put it in a regular, you know, hot wash as instructed, is it going to come out 100% clean again? As long as it's um, washed at over 60 degrees, um, then then that will kill mm -hmm. anything that's on there. Um, and and if it's not washed at sixty degrees, but then it then we're putting it into a dryer to dry. That high that high heat will kill. So it's a bit like someone at home, you know, if they wash their towels and their clothes, as long as they mm -hmm. put it out in sunlight, it's going to you know kill whatever's on there. Because some people tend to you know save money on their electricity mm -hmm. and use a cold wash uh, rather than a hot wash. And then, you know, if they don't put mm -hmm. it in the dryer, sun. then they need to put it in the sun mm -hmm. because the sun will kill. Because I know, like, in the past when I've been involved in outbreaks of, you know, um, MRSA and, and staff, you know, and this is in the community, um, and, you know, one place that I found, it was a, I think it might have been a sheep property or somewhere, um, and we found that, you know, the, the Jillaroos and Jackaroos, that um, the reason they were getting um, MRSA was because they did all their washing and their washing mm -hmm. was cold washed, um, but they were putting it under the veranda, mm -hmm. so it wasn't going out in the sun. And so then consequently, when they went to reuse the mm -hmm. linen and the towels and whatever, the yeah. MRSA wow. was still on the sheets. Mm -hmm. It hadn't gone. So that's why we tell everyone sunshine's mm -hmm. a great killer. Um, hot heat is a great killer or a hot mm -hmm. wash is a great okay. killer. So you have to use mm -hmm. any one of those three. I know, uh, I'll always remember what you told me. We made that mask wearing video together. And yeah, you reminded us that if you had a reusable mask that you should wash it and hang it out in the sun. Yeah, the power of the sun. Yep, correct. Mm -hmm. The power of the sun definitely works. So uh, I think <laughs> what you've inspired us with, Maria, is you know if your organisation hasn't looked at these more modern pieces of equipment, not just for infection control but for definitely reducing manual handling type injuries, uh, it's worth investigating um, things like the microfiber mop heads or disposable curtains perhaps. Um, it could be time to take a look. Yep, I agree. Uh, it's always good to look and see what's out there and what's what's innovative and what can actually help to a you know reduce down our buy burden mm. in the environment, but also look at ways that we can support mm. our cleaners and make you know things much easier for them and uh, so that they've they're more productive and they don't mm. end up with injuries. And even for our healthcare workers who are working with, you know reusable equipment or you know single patient use equipment again it's about minimizing the risks to them as well because they're handling those bits of equipment but also to um, the patient that is the end user of that piece of equipment as well so my last question maria is if you were to look into a crystal ball maria's crystal ball what do you see uh, how can healthcare services improve um, particularly in relation to what we've been talking about, manual handling and infection control? 
I think there is opportunity to be innovative. And, and I mean, we have innovation at the moment with a lot of things that we use, um, but there's opportunity to be um, innovative in the future, you know, and look at, you know, um, the material that we use, you know, can we, um, you know, use material that can buy, that, you know, mm -hmm. is biodegradable or what I call compostable, you know, that can compost down. So then we're actually helping the environment um, and, you know, look at, um, you know, educating our staff, making them more aware of, you know, not just being green, but also making them more aware of, you know, everything that they do there for every action, mm. there is a reaction. So, you know, that they need to be proactive, you know, about, you know, the, the pieces of equipment and things that they use. Um, yeah. Um, I think there, the, there is innovation out there. Mm. It is happening. Um, but it's about time. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. you know, some of the attitudes I see in hospitals that people think, oh, something's uh, disposable. It's got to be bad. Um, because we must be wrecking the environment. But if I know. if you take a open-minded look at all the factors that are going into it, you know, we talk about time and costs and staff injuries, um, infection, um, you know, the, the other impacts, it, well, it may weigh differently to what you first perceive. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I was I was talking to someone this morning about you know what are the risks of uh, of an infection. So you know, I was saying, well, if someone got an invasive had an invasive device in, mm -hmm. say like a cannula, and they they got a staph infection mm -hmm. through that cannula, and then it potentially seeded, you know, somewhere else in the body, like you know, in the hip, you know, then the consequences to that patient is that potentially down the track, if they if that hip is a hip replacement, are they going to end up with a hip infection? And are they going to end up with having to have, you know, washouts or a replacement or potentially having it removed? And, you know, that's mm. that's a cost. So, you know, like the cost of the first infections, you know, around 42000 but then the cost of okay. a hip mm. infection and ongoing treatment is, you know, over a hundred to 200000 mm. and And then there's the risk of morbidity mm. and mortality to that patient that you know we don't think about and I, I i think you know like we there is that symbiotic relationship between what we do and mm. what manual handlers do and and manual handling and that the you know the equipment that we use we're using it to support the patient to you know mobilize them get them up get them out of hospital mm. that's what we want to do um and get them out in the world but then sometimes what we mm. do is we actually contribute to mm. them actually staying mm. in hospital and ending up with a yeah. more severe infection yeah. than what they came in with. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to think you've helped us today just to re mm. remind us of some of those consequences and, and how all those factors um, intertwine. And, w yeah, we don't just work in a silo, right? It is symbiotic between different specialties. No, we yeah we definitely we you know i think in healthcare we forget that we mm. all we're a team mm. and we all work together and we all have our roles and we all we're there to support each other and that it's not always one person's responsibility it's everyone's mm. responsibility and i think that's mm. the message that it's everyone's responsibility you know mm. for that patient journey well said maria yeah. well thank you Thank you for your time. I think you've Thank summed you. us up uh, nicely at the end there. We've come a nice little full circle moment there. 
And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get to work on some okay. more projects again soon together. So talking to Maria about uh, some of the benefits around these modern pieces of equipment, like the new microfiber mop heads or the disposable curtains, has really highlighted that win-win or symbiotic uh, relationship between manual handling and infection control. Uh, one other thing I loved was a reminder for manual handling training to do our part in reducing infections and remind staff to inspect the patient handling equipment um, for soiling before use and after use. If you could think of any other near peers in other areas of healthcare that also overlap with manual handling like infection control today and you'd like to hear more about it, uh, just let me know. You have been listening to the Manual Handling Collective podcast. If you're only listening through audio, we've also filmed this episode. If you want to see a little extra, see the link in the show notes. Subscribe to stay notified of future episodes. Like, share, comment and get in touch to hear more of what you want. If you know a guest who'd be a great fit for the show, just let me know.